0: You're listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Well, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. My name is Walter. one of the pastors here. I know that it's a cold and dreary and rainy day, and there are a lot of things you could be doing like staying at home. But we're glad that you're here with us. want to make a note that this is the time in our service where you can consider how you might be able to support the mission of Holmes Avenue through giving. You're able to give in a variety of ways. You can give as you exit, you can give online, you can give via text, however you'd like to give and support the mission of God here at Holmes Avenue. We're grateful for it and we're thankful for your continued partnership in ministry. Now, we are continuing in our sermon series here in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20. We're going to be in the last half of Acts chapter 20, wrapping up this chapter. And I've titled this sermon, Christian Commitment. And as we look at this, uh, for many of us, you hear the word commitment, and that brings back just horror stories of relationships and drama and and having to keep your word and, and all these challenges we have in our lives with those things. Yet, as we consider the reality of commitment, what does it look like to have Christian commitment within our lives, within the church, within the world? You know, here we are in week six of the new year, beginning week six, you could say. And I would ask this question How many of you made New Year's resolutions? Many of you did. How many of you have failed in your New Year's resolutions already? Many of us have. Statistically speaking, the average person, when they make their New Year's resolutions, lasts about two weeks. The reality is that we struggle with this thing of commitment. And if we take a step back and just simply look at this idea of commitment within the confines of Christianity, we recognize that Christ, the way he functions in this world, the way that we as Christians are to function in this world, must look a bit different. Right? Would it be people who keep our word? Would it be people who are committed to Christ and his mission? Well, you might be asking, what does that have to do with Acts chapter 20? Well, here in Acts chapter 20... Paul's addressing what we believe are the pastors of the church of Ephesus, the elder body that is gathered together. And in this, he's encouraging them. He's addressing the realities that they, as a church, are moving into a new season of life, a new time of their worship experience. They're going into a new direction. This church has grown and is thriving, is going from being this body of believers that has been planted by Paul to here we are decades later, And they're a growing, thriving church that has reached much of Central Asia. Just as we have moved into a new year and we're wrestling with how do we continue to keep our commitments, how do we live in a way that's Christ-honoring, the church in Ephesus, they're wrestling with some of these basic concerns. They're asking, how do we live as faithful Christians, as faithful Christ followers in this new season of life that we have? Well, Paul, as he's speaking to him, gives them what I would encourage you to look at as some godly wisdom and advice that he builds out for them. As he's speaking to them, he gives them really five things that he encourages them to live and abide in, to commit to, so they might grow and thrive in their faith. Now, if you're here, my hope and my prayer is that your desire is to grow and thrive in your faith. And so if indeed that's the case, then we have opportunity to take notes and make note of these things that will lead us to growth in Christ, that will lead us to thriving in our faith as we move into a new season of life personally and corporately as a church. Now, you can see we're covering a lot of ground in this section of Scripture, so I'm not going to have you stand and read all of it at this time. I'm going to read as we go, if I might. I want to jump into our first point if you're taking notes, though. I want to encourage you to go ahead and write this down. Write down that we are to commit to God and His people. Look with me at verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So right here, Paul begins as he's encouraging these men that he loves. He has them focus on this idea that we're to commit to God and to his people. Now, some scholars debate what's happening here in this section. Is is Paul defending his ministries? He's sharing his testimony those are applicable thoughts. But I think really what is happening here is that Paul is ultimately trying to explain to them why his ministry has been so fruitful. Why has the Lord blessed his ministry and moved through the work of Paul in the world? You see, I think what he's doing is he's explaining exactly what he's done in each of his missionary journeys to these men. You see, he's finishing his third missionary journey, and he's giving them what I would argue is perhaps the secret ingredient to success, right? You have that old family recipe and there's this one thing you put in there that makes it magical. Well, Paul is giving that to them. What is the secret ingredient? What is it that we are to do to see us be fruitful and faithful in our lives? Well, it's very simple. We commit to God and to his people. See this expressed here in verses 18 and 19. He says these words that he lived among you. He's serving the Lord with all humility. With tears and with trials that happened, Paul understood that the foundation of his ministry was to serve both God and his people. For us, sitting here 2,000 years later on this side of the scriptures, the call is still the same. Nothing has changed in the past 2,000 years that would see us leave this commitment to God and to his people. You see, we recognize the reality that first and foremost, we are to be committed to God. What does that look like? Well, this begins with this idea that we trust in this basic gospel message that God created the world. He created everything. He specifically created man to share in his glory, to be people that would worship him, spread his glory and honor across the earth. And then man, we know them as Adam and Eve in the garden, sinned. And through their sin, we have been corrupted by sin. And our world is broken and doesn't work like it's supposed to. Yet God in his goodness and grace did not leave the world broken and beaten down. He did not abandon his creation. No, what did he do? He promised even in a garden that he was going to send a redeemer. That would come bear the weight of our sin and shame and make things right. This is the very message of the gospel. That the world is broken and that you and I are in need of a savior. This is what we cry about in John 3, 16 and 17. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why? So that we might experience forgiveness through him. See this commitment, this anchors us something that is eternal and unchanging. This is a world that changes very quickly and we need something to hold tight to. To keep us from sweeping away. Perhaps you remember just a few short years ago, one of the rages of teenage culture, eating Tide Pods. Do you guys remember those stories? Just a few short years ago, people thought it was a great idea to eat Tide Pods. Not only are we sitting here a few short years later thinking, one, that's really dumb. But two, even in the time period that we saw that become popular back in 2020, a few months was all that it was. That's the only time that it was popular. Just search your memory, right? When's the last time you remember someone talking about eating a Tide Pod? <laughs> you haven't heard it in a while. The world has changed. In a completely changing world, we need something that is unchangeable. And that is the good news that Jesus Christ is still King. Now, That's not the only commitment we make here because we said we're committed to both God God and to his people. And in this, we must commit to his people. You see, Paul here as an apostle, he displays this commitment that we are to have to the people of God. We recognize as we study this, that this is something that is expected of everybody within the Christian faith. This isn't just something that you would find in pastors and deacons, right, that they're committed to God's people and to the church. No, we as individual believers are committed to the church to walking together in unity with Christ. You see, we desperately need not just this idea of community, but a place to give of ourselves to. One of the realities is that every year we recognize that there are stories of generosity around the holidays, moving into New Year's. that just move your heart, right? Where you see stories of people going and paying off the toys that are on layaway for families. Where you see these stories of people providing a way for people to have Christmas and Thanksgiving and all these incredible things. Moving into the New Year, we rejoice over these good things. But here's the reality. These things that move us, these stories of generosity, of faithfulness, of just incredible things, they move us because we desire to give of ourselves. We recognize that in this life, we understand that we are not meant to merely consume things. We're meant to be productive. We're meant to give of ourselves so that there is something better out there that comes from us. You see, we're to, we're to give of ourselves. We're to serve the church in any way we can, with any talents and skills that we have. You see, Paul knew thousands of missionary, of new Christians and new believers in his missionary journeys, yet every one of them was dear to him because they are precious children in the sight of God. I, I just simply ask this. Do you, you love your fellow church members? Are they dear to you? Because if they are, they are the people you're committing to serving and walking with. You're not committing to serve and walk with this intangible structure that is Holmes Avenue Baptist Church. No, you're committing to serve and walk with Miss Gerilyn, with Miss Debbie, with John. You're walking with people who have names and value in the sight of God. That is what we're committing to. People who are like us in need of the redeeming grace of God. Now, Paul isn't just encouraging his people to commit to God and his people. He's saying there's more that we must do here. The story isn't over here. Look with me at verse 20. Paul continues, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this leads us into our second point, that we are to commit to sharing God's word. We are to commit to sharing God's word. See, Paul's continuing his teaching here. And as he's encouraging these men, he's reminding them, he's calling them to commit to God's word, to sharing God's word. Now, as we look at this, we've got to address an assumption here. If we're going to share God's word, then first we have to know God's word, right? Right? You can't lead people to drink from a well that you're not drinking from yourself. As we consider this, I have found that just simply in my time as a believer and as a pastor that this is an area that we as people of God are lacking in. We have a hard time with both reading the word and then proclaiming it. You see, it is crucial It is absolutely crucial for you and I to be immersed in the Word of God daily in some way, shape, or form. We have to be consuming the Word of God in some way each and every day. You see, it's not enough to just simply show up on a Sunday and fill our belly to bursting and think that's going to hold us through the week. If you've ever gone to Golden Crow, you recognize you leave very full. But sometime later that day or that week, you're hungry again, aren't you? We cannot eat our calories for the week and then hold them. We will need more food. We have to be taking in the word of God as often as possible. Now, I recognize that this just simply looks different for every person, right? You know, for some, you find reading as an easy way of moving forward, right? You're comfortable with reading a couple of chapters or a couple of verses. Great, that's good. I encourage that. I recommend that. Maybe you're someone who likes to have it read to you. So you listen to it on the Bible app, you listen to it somewhere else, right? You're listening to the Word of God, consuming it. Maybe you enjoy listening to sermons throughout the week. And if that's you, then God bless you. I'm grateful that that's how you're getting your feeding. Simply put, however, your consuming of the word must happen, it's got to happen. You must be reading and consuming the word. You must be listening to it. You must have some avenue for the Lord to speak into your life or you will die. Not a physical death, but a spiritual death. Simply put, we we as believers, how did we become believers? Because someone spoke the gospel message to you and I. Because someone came to us and said, Here is what the Lord has done and shared from the pages of Scripture the grace of God. Faith comes from hearing the word of God proclaimed. And if we don't know it, we cannot share it. See, Paul is committed to this message of the gospel going forth and giving every man, woman, and child he encountered an opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus. One of the things we want to see within our generation is this world being reached with the good news of the gospel. Do you want to see people respond to the good news of the gospel of Jesus? Do you want to see a city change, a world change, people in your neighborhood changed? Then it begins with sharing the good news of the gospel. You, you hear this and frankly, you probably are feeling a little bit discouraged right now. Because if you're like me, you recognize the reality that you desire to share the good news. You desire to consume God's word, but perhaps you're not as good at it as you want to be. Here's just simply the encouragement I would give you. And maybe you're concerned about your ability to consume the Word. Maybe you're concerned about your ability to share the good news of the Scriptures. But I just simply want to encourage you to start where you are and take steps forward. Start where you are. I'm not asking you to begin starting an apologetics course next week. I'm merely asking you to go to your neighbor and go, hey, how can I pray for you? I'm not asking you to read the Bible in this week. I'm simply asking you to crack it open once in a blue moon and let's read it together. Even if you're here and you're saying, I don't read. Well, guess what? It can be read to you. But the important thing is that we must begin where we are. None of us are getting up tomorrow and running a marathon. It's just not going to happen. But we can begin walking a few hundred steps, and one day maybe we could run a marathon. The reality is that Christ isn't calling us to hit some legalistic number of daily readings or having X number of people come to faith each week, right? There's not a checkbox when you walk in the church saying, I led three people to church salvation this week. That, great. What he is calling us to is faithfulness. Faithfulness in which he promises he will provide fruitfulness. But first, we begin with the faithfulness. I would simply encourage you to start today, whatever you've got, with whatever you can do, and begin from there. But as Paul is speaking, he is urging us, calling us to commit to sharing God's word. Now, in that, that requires an extra step or two because it requires us to commit to selflessness as well. Look with me at verse 22. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself. these people that are listening urging us towards selflessness i just want you to put yourself in paul's shoes right he feels that he's compelled by god to go to jerusalem and he's being told by the spirit that as he goes any place he goes every place he goes to every city he arrives at in this journey he's going to face prison and hardships He's even telling these men that I will literally never see your face again. This is how I know this isn't going to end well for me. For most of us, we would have asked if there's another option. If we could take a nice trip to a sandals resort. Like, is there anything else we can do here? Yet Paul says that his life is valueless. He counts his life as nothing in order to finish this race. You see, this race that he is on, this journey he is on, is not some intangible race. He's merely saying that my life exists for the sole purpose of testifying to the world the grace of God. We look at verses like this and we, we have a tendency to attribute them to, to great missionaries we've heard about. Maybe you have heard of Jim Elliott, David Brainerd, people like that. Yet, this isn't something that is just applicable into missionary life. This is a standard call as a Christ follower. Throughout the Gospels, we have multiple passages that are just simply marked by the reality that we are to sacrifice of ourselves so that Christ might be made known. You know, Jesus has these words, whoever would save his life would lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The words of Paul. I would argue that it's just merely a theme in Scripture that the Christian life, discipleship, ultimately requires us to live lives that are marked by selflessness and sacrifice. This doesn't mean that God is not going to let us have a long, fruitful life while having the American dream of having a house with a yard and a fence. You know, the average two and a half kids per family, a dog, a cat, whatever your dream is, right? It doesn't mean that God is not allowing that to happen. But it does mean that your goal in life isn't to achieve those things, but to make much of Jesus. Jesus. See, just as Paul made this argument that his life, his glory, everything about him exists for one reason only, to testify to the grace of God, you and I, when we trust in Jesus, we rediscover this creative plan of God. Going back all the way to the garden, the story of the good news of the gospel is that we were supposed to exist spreading the good news that there is a king above all kings across the earth. The original plan of creation was that humanity created in the image of God was to fill the earth. And everywhere you looked, you would see a reflection of the glory of God. The plan was always that we would give of ourselves and go forth so that the world might see the glory of God. Nothing has changed. The call hasn't changed our God hasn't changed. His strategy to reach the world has not changed because he still expects his people to go forth and spread his glory. Everywhere there are people, there should be Christians proclaiming the name of Jesus. You know, one of the realities of being in pastoral ministry is that you get a lot of phone calls from people asking you to share the good news with their friends, their family, their neighbors. You get a lot of calls asking for, yeah, they're going through a tough time. Will you come and share and share Jesus with them? And those are good calls. I'm not going to belittle it, but what I always feel like saying is, you're there. Why aren't you doing it? You're the Christian in their life. God has put you there for this moment so that you might share the good news of the grace of God. Sure, I can come. But here's the reality. You're already there. I hear so many times of people bemoaning the fact that their children and grandchildren don't go to church. Yet in so many of those conversations, they don't share the gospel with their children and grandchildren. Simply put, I cannot lead anyone to faith unless the Lord is at work there. But more than that, when he's already placed you there for a mission and for a purpose, what does he need me there for? God has put you where you live, work, and play so the world might see, hear, and know the glory of King Jesus through you. Not your pastor, not your deacon, not anyone else but you. And I just simply ask you, Are you being selfless or are you being selfish in your faith? If we're honest, we would recognize that we are probably being a bit selfish in how we respond to those things. Yet, the whole point of our faith is that we have been saved so that we might give our faith away not hoarding it as if it's a precious treasure that will never be found again, but giving it away because we know as we give away this good news, what happens? That gospel message is multiplied as it goes forth. It doesn't just stay right here within me. No, it goes forth and is then spread. I am a believer because of a man named Jonathan Falco who shared the good news of the gospel with me. And he's a believer because his student pastor shared the good news of the gospel with him. And his student pastor is a believer because his father shared the good news of the gospel with him. And we can trace this journey back. All because someone generations ago said, I will be faithful to give away my faith. I'll be selfless so that the world might hear of the good news of the gospel. And that traces down in that journey so that I stand here as a believer, because of someone's faithfulness to proclaim the good news of the gospel years, decades, centuries ago. As Paul's encouraging them to commit to this selflessness, he also reminds them that we're to commit to vigilance. See, in verse 28, he says these words. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years that did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul provides this call to vigilance to his people. And it's an important one for us to focus upon. Ephesus at this time was a very healthy church. Very healthy. God has been doing incredible things. that They've reached most of Asia and the known world at that time. Hundreds of people, thousands of people are a part of this church. It's a beautiful story of God's grace. Yet, we know that within 40 short years, Jesus had these words for them in Revelation. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you didn't at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You see this church that had reached most of Central Asia within a few short years had lost its way and had fallen from its perch. I imagine that The church has shrunk. People are walking away. And they're just simply asking, what do we do? Where do we go? And Jesus gives them these words. He's saying that, look, you must be vigilant, not only in your church to see it grow and thrive, but in our own personal walk as well. Paul gives us a couple of areas to keep this vigilance up, to look specifically. He says, first, we're to keep watch over ourselves. Watch your own heart. Check your heart. We recognize the reality that within our heart, from inside, is what comes out. That is, if you're saying and doing things that are not of Christ, that means that the things inside your heart are not of Christ. We have to watch our hearts carefully, lest we stray Furthermore, he tells us to keep watch over those entering. He's saying those that were to come in and to join this church, you must watch them carefully. We recognize this reality that in this world, there are spiritual enemies out there who will seek to enter into our midst. These wolves within sheep's clothing. We watch not because we want to keep people from joining the church, but rather we want to ensure that those who join truly believe in Jesus. This is why church membership is so important because we want to ensure that those that join truly love Jesus. This is a crucial thing because if they don't, you get faulty theology. You get terrible things that come of it. If you don't believe me, just ask the church in Ephesus. Well, you can't because it's been dead for 2,000 years. Finally, we're to keep watch over those within see, Paul remarks that the people within the church of Ephesus, there will be some that will rise up and distort the truth. You see, we watch one another to ensure that we're living and believing in a way that lines up with the Scriptures. This isn't like the CIA watching you or listening to your phone. This isn't the FBI investigating you. But what this does mean is that when there's genuine cause for concern in another believer's life... You have that conversation. This isn't to create a gossip line or a rumor mill because we don't need those. i tell you where you can file those in a trash can as you're leaving. We don't need stuff like that. What we do need is a commitment to one another and to community that when you see someone living in a way that is out of bounds with God's word, you say, hey, can we have lunch? I want to talk to you about something. I think I'm seeing some stuff in your life that... Maybe I don't understand it, but I just want to, I want to hear from you what's going on. So when you see people in sin, you tell them that it is not okay to remain in that place because they are Christ followers. As we hear these things, this commitment to vigilance, it sounds a bit scary. And if we're living in the flesh that is the things of the world, it's a terrifying thought, Right? For decades, we've lived in this world where everybody, you get on your phone, right? You talk about eating lunch, and the next few minutes, you're going to have an ad about lunch on your phone somewhere. It's crazy. But the key difference between this and what the world is trying to do is that for us, our vigilance is rooted in love. It's love for God and love for his people. This doctrine of love and and grace, this undeserved kindness we receive, we root everything we do within that. And so if God has called us to protect our hearts, we do it because we love him. If God has called us to watch for sheep coming in that might be wolves, then we do it because we love God and his church. If he's telling us to watch one another's lives with vigilance, then we do it because we love God and his people. All of it's rooted in love. Now, finally, Paul gives us an encouragement that we are to commit towards generosity here in these last few verses. He says in verse 33 I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul ends his time with these men with this encouragement to commit to generosity. He's not disputing the fact that men who labor in the gospel work are deserving for payment. He's saying no. No. They they should be paid, but rather I, I don't need to do that because I'm pursuing to provide for my own needs and for those around me. He had this labor, this idea of tent making. Paul was actually a leather worker, a tent maker. He provided for himself on many of his missionary journeys. He did this not because he wanted to be rich or wealthy, but rather he wanted to show the generosity of God to those around him. See, God has blessed us so that we might be a blessing to those we encounter. Paul's pointing back to the words of Jesus back in the book of Matthew that we're called to bless. We're called to bless because much has been freely given to us. Yes, this might include money, right? We want to be generous with our money, but also it's requiring us to be generous with things like our time, with our effort, with our energy, Perhaps one of the most precious commodities we have is merely that of our time. And to give generously of that to the work of the Lord within his church and within his ministry outside these walls. This is what we're called to do. We're to give of our effort and our energy. We're to work for the glory of God. You see, God is calling us to be faithful in all of these areas, to be generous so that we might best honor him. And if we truly believe, his words, that it is better to be blessed than to receive, we will give generously for time, effort, energy, and yes, of our money. Now, Paul's encouraged us towards these commitments, these kind of five basic commitments that we should make as we move into a new season and a new life. And if you're looking at this, you might recognize that there are a few verses left here. Well, I didn't forget about them. I want you to look at them with me as we think about how we're supposed to respond to this idea of commitment. Verse 36 says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. Being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. See, Paul concludes his message for these men and they gather around to celebrate the impact that it's had on their lives. They're emotional over losing him and his influence in their lives. They, they know that they are here where they are because of what Paul has done, the faithfulness that he has shown so that God would provide fruitfulness. He's made a difference in their lives in this season of ministry. And I would simply ask this question, As we conclude thinking of how do we respond to these calls to commitment. Whose life is going to be impacted by yours in this new year? We're six weeks in, and I would just simply ask, you've probably committed to New Year's resolutions, you've probably committed to many other things for your time, effort, energy, and money, and that's great. But have you committed to being a Christ follower who's making a difference... For the name of Jesus in the life of someone else. Put another way, who's your one? Who is that person who is far from God but near to you so that you might be praying for them? So that you might be sharing the good news of the gospel with them? So that you might be inviting them into your life, into your relationships, into your church? See, Paul continually asked that question. On a daily basis, I believe. Whose life am I going to impact? That's why he took three missionary journeys spanning decades. Why he spent thousands upon thousands of dollars. Not for his glory, not for his honor, but so that the people around him might know his King, Jesus. See, Paul made a difference in these men's lives because he was committed to this question. Whose life will be impacted by mine this year? whose life will be transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ that I proclaim to them. See, the only way we're going to see us grow and thrive this year, the only way we'll see our church grow and thrive this year, is if we ask this question and seek to answer it. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, I would encourage you, be here to commit to God and his people this year perhaps with an extra measure of faithfulness that you've previously displayed. Maybe you've been on the fence, right? And you're saying, I think this thing is good, but I'm not sure. Jump in with both feet. Get off the fence. (laughs) The fence is never a good place to be, right? You're in, you're out. You don't even know. Jump in. Perhaps you're here and you're a non-Christian. Maybe you're wondering about these things of Christ. Maybe you're not sure about these words. Maybe, frankly, some of it sound pretty good, right? You'd like a new start. You'd like to have a better series of resolutions than you've got this year. You'd like to maybe display some commitment and some faithfulness towards something. You can absolutely have all those things that we've talked about, but none of it makes a difference unless you begin with this commitment to God. We study the scriptures. We recognize that Jesus came as this perfect man. He was born as this beautiful child. And he grew up without sin, doing all the things that we were supposed to do, living the life that we were supposed to live. He was perfect and righteous in every way. And this innocent man went to the cross, where even those that condemned him said, we cannot find any guilt in this man. He is innocent. And he went to the cross bearing the weight of our sin, bearing the weight of our shame, and died the death that you and I deserve so that he might take our place before the wrath of God. But the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there because Jesus didn't stay dead in that grave. You can go to his tomb in Israel where we think the tomb is, and I'll let you in on a secret if you haven't ever seen it. It's empty. Because he didn't stay in that grave to rot and decay. No, three days later he rose from the dead, showing that he his power over life, death, and everything in between. And proclaimed to his people that you must not only trust me, but go and tell the world of what you've seen here. Well, today you've heard what the disciples saw. You've heard of this gospel message. And you get to make the choice if you'll choose to commit to following Jesus or if you'll continue to choose yourself. My hope and my prayer is that you'll choose to follow Jesus. And if you have questions, you have concerns, you want to think through, what does this look like? I'd love to hear from you. If you would, could we go to the Lord in prayer and simply ask the Lord to move and work in our lives right now? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you for being a God who cares for his people, who is concerned about the things of this world. Thank you for being a God who still works and moves in this world. Lord, some will bemoan and say that you're silent, you're not active, you're not doing anything in this world. But Father, merely I look out and I see the brokenness. I see how bad things could be and I rejoice that you are still at work restraining evil, working things together for your good and your glory, bringing your people together so that we might proclaim the good news of the gospel to those around us who are living in this lost and dying world with us. Father, as we've studied the scriptures today, we've wrestled with this idea of commitment. What does it look like to display Christian commitment? And Lord, we'll simply ask for everybody who is here, who is listening to this, Father, would ask that you would stir in our hearts a vision of commitment. One that is anchored upon you and your people. One that is anchored upon your word. One that is dying to ourselves, that is watching over our hearts vigilantly. One that is committed to being generous. Lord, that's a beautiful picture of what the gospel should look like in our lives. And I would pray that for everyone here, that would be, the gospel message we've received. That would be what we trust in, that you are a good God who loves his people, who bore the weight of our sin and shame upon the cross and brought us to you. Father, we're thankful for your grace and mercy. My prayer today is that everyone here would wrestle with this idea of commitment, Lord, and that they would choose to follow you. Lord, we're grateful for your grace and mercy. Speak to us now. Allow the Spirit to change our hearts and minds to be receptive to you and to your message. We thank you for what you've done for us, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.